And we're back. Welcome back to the Practice Makes Perfect podcast. It's your boy, your favorite Fortnite commentator, Monster D-Face, bringing you guys episode 12. For those of you guys tuning in via the download, SoundCloud, Apple, Amazon, all of y'all, thank you guys so very much for, of course, tuning along, man. I know y'all been watching these uh, other episodes we've been dropping with the Fortnite podcast, but we're back now with the podcast here, the Practice Makes Perfect. And y'all know this is everything esports and pretty much everything in between with Fortnite too. So with that being said, as always, we got John producing the show tonight. Uh, John, what's up, baby? Yo, yo, yo. What's up, everybody? Missed you. While, while, uh, while y'all was gone, I turned 30. I'm a whole, I'm a whole man now. Oh, my gosh. Man, a whole man. I'm about to have my second baby, but don't worry, boys. We still grinding. I, uh, I, for my 30th birthday, I played like 30 straight hours of Rust. So for my eyes, yeah. for, for the and- culture. And I will say, John, you missed it in the group chat, but uh, I added you. And I was like, yo, happy birthday. Everyone told you happy birthday. And I was like, he's on vacation. Maybe if he comes back and reads the history, he'll see it. I was going to text you, but I really didn't want to yeah, intrude on your weekend. So, again, yeah. happy birthday, my boy. Thank if you, you want guy. the proof, look at the group chat. I promise you it's in there. I believe uh, you, bro. And <laughs> we have a new special guest. My boy Concealed, RBK Concealed. This man has been around esports for quite some time. An OG, some of y'all might recognize from back in the day, org owner of Raised by Kings, which on it's on an extended hiatus right now, but we, we won't ever say it's gone because he's still around the scene. Talk to me, my boy. Uh, man, it's been great. It's good to be back, and it's good to be around you guys, man, grinding. Yeah, we won't say it's gone forever. It's just, you know, on a short-term leave, we'll leave yeah. it out at that, you know? One hundred percent, and and I just I just want to give you the floor a minute, just so we could give people a little bit about the history of who you are, what was raised by kings, whatever you know. The floor is yours. Let people know, yeah, yeah, who you are. Yeah, man. So I used to own an esports org called Raised by Kings uh, a couple of years ago. We focused heavily on the Fortnite scene. I think we were one of the first like orgs that really dove deep into it. Right when everything was kind of starting. Um, we did a couple of cool things. You know, we won some events. We got to partner with the Atlanta Braves, you know, hosted events live from their stadium. Um, we did a little couple of different things, man. I think we really took Fortnite by storm as much as we could. Um, and right now we're just taking a little break. That's all it is. But I've been around esports for a long time, man. And my first gaming event I competed in was 2007. MLG in Orlando, if I'm correct. Man, it's a long time Such ago. Such a long time ago. Yo, what long game? Halo? time ago. Yeah, Halo bro. We might. Duty. I was, bro. I, so I grew up in Orlando, <laughs> and I was grinding Halo Three in high school, bro. I wonder if yeah, we played it any. Were you from Orlando, or that was just no? Was so I grew up inside. It, that's South Florida. So uh, yeah. it's just Call of Duty was like my or Halo was my first love. You know, growing up like going to little local lands, but then Call of Duty kind of just took over. Um, and me and my brother would go and travel to the MLG events. So I kind of got on my foot in door. And ever since the first event, man, I walked in, I looked around, I saw the stage, and I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So oh. that's where I've been the whole time. That's what's up. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have that, that history of being a part of the early Halo and Call of Duty lands, but man, I hear so many people talk about it, and a lot of people really look at those years and those moments as, you know, like highlights, you know, because the, it was so raw back then, right? And it really was just people with uh, passion coming together the game and stuff like that so you know fortnite for me is my first real competitive experience where i got to get into uh the deep end of what is esports if you will um i've always watched esports from a distance like csgo and counter-strike was probably probably my main one that i that i tuned in i would say uh, but i tuned in because i was betting on on teams and stuff Yo. like that i was all a part of the yeah dude i'm putting this you know dragon asimov i'm putting this asimov up up on the line right now i need c9 to win you know and like i'm like rooting <laughs> for hiko like little did i know right that was esports but i was there because of the betting so maybe not the best yeah. example but hey i, I got to experience <laughs> some esports from the outside um Let's jump into the thick of it, though. Let's go. This title, as you all are tuning in, we'll see Nate Shot versus The Mob. There was a big, big kerfuffle, if you will, a big piece of drama, some head-to-head, some rivalry between what honestly looked like friends at, at one point, probably not as much anymore. And you had a lot of headliners like Courage JD jumping in to come to the defense of Nate Shot and 100 Thieves, rightfully so. And on Frost side, you had... Frost, aka the mob. This is the person who kind of kickstarted this all. 
he didn't really have too many people come to his defense. So I guess it kind of shows where people feel on the topic. But with that, I'm going to jump into it. We're going to talk about what all happened here, how this developed, and what came about from this issue. That being said, Frost, one of the members of the mob, essentially dropped the Twitter piece. Now, John, I don't know if you have the Twitter piece itself to go ahead and yeah. read out the exact details, but the too long don't read for those of you guys listening from home. He started slandering his experience on the org 100 Thieves. As we all know, the CEO of 100 Thieves is Nayshot. Nayshot was not happy to hear or read what was coming out from what felt like to him was left field. And keep in mind, guys, again, from Nayshot's perspective, he woke up that day, for all he knew, him and Frost, him and the mob, they were on good terms. So he didn't realize all this bad energy that was bubbling behind the scenes and the real, I guess, feelings of what was uh, Frost there. So with that being said, he jumps up online, he does a live stream, and he starts to clap back. And we're going to talk about all the little things he talked about here. But I want to kick it off with, uh, with Jao here for a second as John pulls up the exact tweet to go ahead and read those details. Jao, you are someone who has you know, the, the utmost experience. You, we could say the best experience here uh, out of us three by far running an organization. You've ran a professional organization. Um, and I, I mean, you've come across your speed bumps in the road. How common is it for, I guess, you as the CEO to maybe have a perspective on a topic and it maybe to not resonate the same way with the, with, you know, the players? Like, talk to us a little bit about that insight and what, and what that dynamic can be like at times. Yeah, no, I think from my experience, right, um, one of the biggest things that we're going to see to start to shift now in esports, as you know, as it grows and matures, is that relationship, right? Like, of course, we're all creating content. We're all, you know, having a good time. But at the end of the day, right, there's a lot of investment dollars being thrown around, um, which is a set, it's a big business, right? And there's no, no business operates at a loss forever. Um, so what you're seeing now is, you know, these orgs are starting to, when you contract players, as soon as you get on their contract, it's it's time for business, right? Enough, like, yes, we're friends, right? A nation and Frosty, we're friends. But at the end of the day, that's his boss. And it's hard to differentiate that uh, relationship, too, at some points. Um, but a lot of players kind of just think that once you get into an org, you've made it. And that's not the way it works anymore possibly in the past it used to be right like if you joined face plan you're like oh dude i made it joint face but now you know again it's a business it's not uh it's not all fun and games so if you're not putting in the work you're gonna hear from it right so yeah, i think from and- shot's perspective is uh, he was stuck between a rock and a hard place because there's no winners in this right right that's that's my perspective because i've been in that situation and John, do you have the you have the post? Because what, yeah. what this all stems from, honestly, guys, it, it really comes down to the funds. Like Frost felt like they were put in a position to fail, and Nayshot sees it completely different. He's like, dude, I put you in the position to succeed. I try to give you every resource that we had possible. Um, but like we said, Frost comes out with this left field tweet out of nowhere and causes this whole thing to kind of spin up. So uh, yeah, John, take us through kind of what kickstarted this on Twitter. Yeah, so it's it's a lot if you're to go through Frost. I mean, like this is a this is a is a whole thing. And on August uh, 29th at 3:30 a.m., Frost just tweets, "Damn, I missed the mob house." And from there, people start reacting to it. Um, and one of the things he said that really started it going, he said, "Imagine we had enough money to where we didn't have to stress over where our next meal was coming from." Could have done some big things, but I guess we'll never know. And from there, it just went on. People supporting, people hating. He then tweets um, that uh, that next, uh, well, I guess really for him that night, but that morning, three hours later, he said, I got to start drunk tweeting more uh, often because I love not holding back. I think it's an interesting aspect of this that he even openly is saying that he des- didn't necessarily go into it with the most open mind. If you go through kind of like the the rest of his his feed, you're you're seeing him say different stats like, "Hey, y'all remember how Phase took you know X amount from Tifu? Well, ours was worse." And like just different types of things, comparing rent um, in LA, talking about bad internet, all this stuff, and then halfway right there, Nateshot starts to respond. And and we could jump in right there. This is a very interesting point uh, because. 
one of the one of the biggest things he mentioned right there is uh, essentially that he wasn't getting paid a, a good enough player salary, right? Or or a content creator salary. Now let's be let's be honest here, let's be transparent. Um there is sometimes an unrealistic expectation from the creator to the organization when it comes down to again, that dynamic, that, that give and take, right? A lot of the times the creator and again, we see it up and down the Fortnite scene. So trust me when I say the creator, more often than not, is asking for what is an unreal, unrealistic, right? Uh, uh, salary or uh, retainer fee from the organization for what kind of value they bring to the table. Now, the mob here in this instance, I think is a, a, a very special instance. Um, they shot 100 Thieves. They saw the mob. The mob was already... They were bubbling. They were successful. They were kind of doing their thing. They had this cult following on Twitter, and they signed them because, well, why not? They recognized that there was a ceiling here, uh, a potential ceiling for this team to pop off. And how's that gonna how's that gonna work? Well, they're putting them on hundred thieves. Hundred thieves already at this point is carrying all that clout, so they have a lot of value to bring to a team like the Mob, which is oh, what is otherwise a a, a mid sized team of influencers. Um, and he pays them. $10,000 a month salary, part of which was to be put towards their their livelihood of the rent and the expenses of them living in LA. So they go and relocate themselves to LA. And this is where this is where it gets kind of funny because from Frost's perspective, he says that he was forced to uproot and the whole team was forced to uproot themselves to go to LA and live within this very tight vicinity um, uh, of Nayshot, which is 15 minutes away from him. And the quote unquote rent at all the homes that were available there were just shy or just about ten thousand dollars. So all of their earnings, uh what they would be paid had to go directly to rent, but post tax is actually more than that. So they had to come out of pocket. And this is where he comes with this whole idea trying to say like he he couldn't make ends meet. To me, this is kind of crazy for a couple different reasons, right? Reason number one. You could choose a different location to live. Let, let's be honest yeah. here. It, it definitely sounds like he was fishing for excuses. It seems like he threw himself into the deep end, and that was the best that he kind of had for this situation. Um, I'm thinking, right, and this is just my personal perspective, that they just made a mistake. And that mistake was, yeah, they didn't realize uh, taxes had to be paid. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't equate for all the additional expenses. Uh, they didn't, they didn't uh, compensate the fact that they had to pay for Wi-Fi, pay for phone bills, pay for food. We're talking about people that, for the most part, probably lived at home and don't understand what the real world is like. Yep. Uh, so, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to open up the floor here, but that, that's where I'm at with this. That's really what I took in the first time I absorbed this information. Yeah, I think I, think I send the same way as you, right? It's, uh, you have a group of guys that possibly have never, you know, stepped outside of the comfort of you know that home life or you know being in college or whatever you're young and it's okay you make mistakes but putting yourself in a situation where you're going to one of the most expensive places in the country right which is la um it's not going to be cheap um i think the issue was too is i think even for watching frosty stream is when he pulled up the zillow thing saying like oh we can only pay ten thousand that was the cheapest but he kind of bit himself in the butt when he pulled up a Zillow and there's, you know, nice apartments brand new for 5k a month, you know, and yeah. things like that. And it's like, I mean, it just shows you right there. Right? And there's other houses for six, seven K a month. Like, um, from my perspective, right. If I was being given that opportunity, of course, I'm going to take it because hundred thieves is a massive following. That's going to boost your career to another level. Um, but you also got to do a little bit more research on your own and realize it. I mean, $10,000 a month for rent. It's crazy in general, but I don't know. I think the guys were hand, handed a really big opportunity and fumbled the bag from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I don't think there's much more to for me to say different other than, yeah, just that, that immaturity. And I think the sa most sad part to me is that what I've observed in myself and others when I'm blaming others my lack of success or failure is it's normally a sign I didn't learn my lesson from the thing in the first place. What's sad to me is that like Frosty went through all of that, good or bad, ups and downs, and it still seems like he's in the same spot. So even if he got another opportunity, like I don't even know if he'd be ready to like do it all over again. It's just I mean, sad. 
would he even get another opportunity after what he just did? Right. He kind Probably of, not. Right. It's a, it's you, you put yourself in a hard place now with, you know, calling any, somebody out like that, especially one of the faces of esports currently, right. Which is on your thieves and Nate shot. Um, once you do that, how is anybody else going to take a chance? Cause then how are you going to, they're going to think, well, if anything goes bad with us and him, he's going to air it all out. And then here we are having to answer for him online again. Yeah, and, and that's something that, uh, man, like, there's a lot of lessons to be had here. And this is why I, I posted a video almost immediately. I, I just had got finished with a, with another show. As soon as I was done casting that event, I had the urge to, to create content. Like, literally, I'm like, dude, I'm about to make a quick video before I wrap up, before I shut down these PCs. And one of the things I talked about was, like, all right, guys, this is, you know, hella entertaining. Let's be honest. You know, we all love the Twitter drama. We we all eat it up. We're scrolling, dude. We're waiting for the next, you know, next tweet from you know Jake Lucky and Keemstar and whoever's jumping in the mix. Um, but what I what I wanted to leave people with was look at the look at the lessons that can be had here, and that's one right there. Um, that you have to set that realistic expectation with yourself and and the situation that you're in, and most importantly, like you said, they were. They were honestly gifted an opportunity. And this is where Nayshot had a rebuttal for every response, right, that Frost Everyone. put up. Um, another one of the ones was he just straight called out their work ethic. He called mm-hmm. out his work ethic. And this one's I think, is a little, little clouded because you're talking about an individual, right, and his individual statistics, but you're not really accounting for the extra time that they put in to the team content as well on each other's channels. So I think I think that one was a little bit of a miss, but at the end of the day, what Frost said was not to his defense because what he said was, hey, uh, Nayshot and 100 Thieves knew that we weren't good at making YouTube content, so like, why try to make us make YouTube content? To me, that's a cop-out. The, the, the way Frost and the way any streamer should be looking at an opportunity like that is, how do I learn from these guys that are extremely uber successful that are trying to push me in the right direction? Where can I extract the, you know, these resources that they're giving me and turn this into success? Because what happened right there, like you said, they were just getting gifted all this chance to pick up the skills to learn how to YouTube, to learn how to um, work these other platforms that they weren't quite successful or as successful on. And instead, he just took the loser's mentality like, we're not good at it. What do you want us to do? Yeah. Like, yeah. you you can't do that either. Um, ja, I want to I put you back on, on, on the seat here because, again, as someone who ran an esports org, um, what would you say was the most common issue when it came down to either getting players to create content or was it, you know, they, they got on a team and they lost the hunger to produce? Like, what do you see happen more commonly as far as, like, a point of frustration with player signings. I think there's a couple things, right? Once you get signed, you become complacent, right? With where you are, you're like, oh, I made it. You know, I got signed to an org. Like, I'm good to go. I don't need to do anything else. Um, and the other thing was another thing Nate Shot said. Some people have it and some people want it. Some people don't. That's yeah. just reality. Um, one of the people that I always come back to, and it's somebody that, you know, I respect a ton, is Arab, right? That was a guy that when we signed, when I looked at him, when he, he was averaging like under a hundred viewers at the time. Right. But that dude did the same thing. Nate shot said, Hey, I'm going to stream all day. I'm going to get off stream. I'm going to edit my own videos. I'm going to upload to YouTube. I'm going to get up the next day. I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again over and over. And that's what it takes to be successful in this business. Um, you're competing now, you know, with everybody in the world. Cause it's not like a sport, right? Like I'm a professional footballer or whatever it might be. Esports, it's worldwide, right? Or just being an entertainer is worldwide. So if you're not having that hunger and that will to put in the time and effort, you're not going to make it. And that's just reality. So and that's, I just think some guys think signing to an org is the end all be all. Like, oh, I already signed. I'm good. I'll be good forever. But no, they don't realize like these contracts can be, you know, terminated at any time. Right. That's reality. If you're not producing for a business, you're going to get fired. And then what happens after that? It's up to you. So now, did like, you, did you ever did you ever have a, an instance where like because this this is something that happened with the Nayshot and and Frost incident, uh, Nayshot brokers a deal, uh, you know, an advertisement deal, marketing deal, they bring it to the team, and then you have essentially the the participants, the the players, the influencers not fulfilling their end of the bargain. And uh, but before I give you you know the floor on this one, um, this was this was all aired out on Twitter, guys. 
Nayshaw talked about how they didn't fulfill their end of the bargain. And the client who was representing the agency, one of the individuals, actually spoke up and came to Nayshaw's defense and said, I can attest, they didn't do their job. It was uh, uh, pretty much a disaster from their end. And uh, from Frost and his perspective, you know, they were trying to make these wild claims like, Hey, uh, you know, 100 Thieves is taking all this money from us. And, you know, we're bringing in what could be these deals, but, you know, they're they're not paying us. Um, This opens up to me like a completely different can of worms right here, because legally speaking, now you're now you're messing with real money. You're you're messing yeah. with big money. We're talking six figure deals um, and you're signing contracts. and You're coming into agreements with these entities and you're saying you're going to do something. Have you ever been in that kind of situation where maybe you brought something to your players and. You know, now you're stuck holding a bag. Like, dude, yeah. we got to get these videos out. You got to fly out here. Like, what are we doing? No, we're never stuck in that situation. But I think those situations are very common in in our world, right? In gaming. Uh, and it's one of those things where all these numbers being thrown out and everything, it, there's no winning side to this, right? Because these are all, again, big negotiations, big numbers. But now you're airing stuff out like that, where that, let's say, potential sponsorship doesn't probably want their business out there, right? They don't want to know how much they're spending. They don't want their money to be out there. And now you're looking at it from a player's perspective, right? Let's be honest. If the mob wasn't part of 100 Thieves, would they get a $200,000 deal? No. Mm, no chance, right? That's just reality. I'm sorry, but that's, that's business. No yeah, chance they would get that deal. No chance they would be in the middle of the Super Bowl, the biggest event in America, one of the biggest events in the world, and be playing Uno for, you know, whatever much money they were and winning this, like, around the biggest creators in the world. No, it's not happening, right? So on Nate, I side with Nate on, on this on this topic just because I've been on both sides, and there's no chance. It's just not happening. Yeah, I think I think creators failed to realize the legitimacy of uh, uh, business brings to the table, and sometimes that's just the difference maker. Yeah, you can have all the numbers in the world, um, but you know the fact that these guys are running a legitimate business, they have you know the different de- departments and resources, and they put in that that history, that track record, uh, that that proves that they're running a real business. That alone sometimes enough to win over an activation. I mean, I can literally attest to this um practice server at one point we were this small guys but you know what i had an official llc i had our business address i had that ein number you know i had all the things in place um when we needed it to get those contracts signed whereas regular streamer individual on the side it doesn't matter how many numbers you have you're not most and more most most uh times you're not a legitimate business you haven't set up you know those extra little bits of layers to protect yourself and that alone can win you activations and deals. Um, and that's what helped us succeed in this space. Uh, a little brief history on Practice Server. When we first kind of started becoming what we were becoming, which was an administration and production company, you know, you remember our old logo. We didn't really have one. We didn't look like a business at all. We just looked like, what the heck is this? A, a group of misfits running a Twitter account. Um, it wasn't until we, we kind of recognized, like, all right, we got to set this up. We got to make ourselves looked apart because we want to be a part and and that that was the difference for us so i do find it interesting how yeah these you know the mob in this instance frost in particular is putting on this this perception that they can just bring in those deals it doesn't really work like that yes you can like don't get me wrong you can a lot of people broker their own opportunities and stuff like that but when it comes down to the real big players those key players you need a lot more a lot more uh, of that legitimate uh, infrastructure in place. And that's where having an organization will help win you those activations, you know, sign those agreements, get those, uh, you know, the legal teams involved to really overlook things and make sure everyone gets paid. Uh, John, I saw you trying to hop in there. Did you have something to add there? No, I mean, just y'all, like, just you guys talking about, like, what you're also getting at from your own stories and pointing out here is, like, he also went after Nate Shot. Probably like the worst target to come after when it comes to like somebody who's worked his way up, who knows what it's like. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's one thing we do live in a day and age where like CEOs beyond esports, you know, do crazy stuff and people get mistreated and underpaid. And like, it's a real reality of the world. But like, you're coming at the guy who has been where you've been and gave you a shot. It's just like, it's, I think that like, I was just so stunned that somebody would target Nade Shot, who like, I feel like is the epitome of the grind. 
and, and I and I do want to I, I want to put this out there too. Like when you watch Nashar's stream, he he was talking about how all the members of the mob, uh, Avalan- uh, Avalanche, Mako, Classy, and Frost were all actually a part of his early viewers from when he first started making Crazy. content. They were his moderators. They, he he said they were funny. And he, he thought, you know, he finally got his business at a place to where he could give back a little bit. And he he remembered exactly who these guys were. And he he supported them. Like I said, they had a genuine friendship or what he thought was should have been more genuine than what it kind of came to be. And that that's the crazy part, because not only not only does he feel like his trust was broken, but I mean, you heard of himself. He was furious. Like he's bad. Like he wants to strangle somebody. You know what I mean? You, you have these people that you kind of trust and you let into your, your ecosystem. You try to uplift and give opportunities to, and then all that comes about from it. So it, it's really interesting. I think what the internet dynamic will make people, I guess, do or perceive just for a little bit of attention at times and grant their frost, you know, maybe he didn't quite blame the fact that he was, you know, it, it came because he was on an alcohol uh, stunt or whatever, but you know, he still played. He played that card, right? He's kind yeah, of pulling yeah. out. He's pulling out all the cliche cards. Yeah, they're drinking. Yep, did that. You know, he's pulling all these cards out and then try to play this this weird fine line to make sure that he's giving himself, I guess, a, a blowback cushion because you know it's not it's not going to end well. Um, I think and, he kind of knew it wasn't going to end well, right? Like mm-hmm. he definitely knew. Like you said, he's playing these cards, right? You're playing your cards, and it's awesome. You can play whatever card you want. But when you're coming after the one dude that literally has been there since the very, very, very beginning of esports and grinded his way all the way to where he is now, you better have your cards right, man. Because you, you, you are the, the backlash you're going to get if this is not. And the fact that he came out and said, oh, you know, I don't have any proof to show or, you know, how am I supposed to show proof? You guys should just believe me. Automatically right there. You're done. Right, like now, now well, the career you had, or whatever career you thought you had, yeah, it, it, that's that's reps. Like people are not going to want to sign yeah, you. Yeah, you yeah. are showing your professional etiquette yep. in a sense by, you know, airing out these these like you said, what is otherwise confidential details, the amount of money you're getting paid, how deals are being broken up. Um, but there is some interesting parts here. The original deal Nasha tried to offer the mob, he did try to take ninety five percent of their sponsorship, which is. Honestly, pretty wild. This came about at the same time as Tfue's allegations towards FaZe Clan, where FaZe was taking a ridiculous chunk. I think it was 80% of his sponsorship earnings. Tfue's in a unique position, though. He blew up to, like, this crazy mega star, right? Like, what literally felt like overnight. And at that point, all the sponsors are running to Tfue's door at his footsteps, waiting for him to just say yes to anything because they want us to put that money up. And that's when he realizes, dude, I can't even really cash in on these because I'm in this, what felt like to him, a predatory deal. But in all, real, in all realism, right, and in, in all reality, it's not truly predatory because the organization is taking this massive risk in you. They're, they're, they see something special in you. They're backing you up. And when you're, we're talking phase, TSM, you know, um, 100 Thieves, we're talking about brands that bring so much fandom to you. So they're an amplifier to what is your already, you know, successful platform that you're building. That's why they picked you. So for them, they're trying to make sure you blow up to get to that point. So they get a, a nice return of investment on you. Yeah. And I find it kind of baffling how streamers can go into these conversations and these deals, see that retainer check, think it's all good. And then the org's plan works. You blow up. They try to cash in. And now you are mad. It really blows my mind because you agreed to that. You were licking your lips and rubbing your hands together when you're thinking you got the sweet side of the deal. And they're over here. The guy's putting up the money, putting up the risk, trying to really, you know, hope that it all comes together for the influences that they're picking up. And then when it does happen, the backlash, the blowback. We've seen it so many times in Fortnite, especially back when we get the whole hey, free Aqua from his contract and free this person. And it works sometimes. That's just so crazy. Yeah, That's cancel culture, man. Like People got to realize, right, as a business, like I, for me, I look at it from a pure business perspective. I look at numbers, right? If I pay four guys, the mob, $2,500 a month each, right? That's 10K a month. At the end of the year, it's $120,000 that I'm investing into these guys. That's not including how, how can you make the back people that I got to pay least, for... Though? 
That's the, that's not including the people I got to pay for videos, right? To edit for them, everything I got to invest. In, that's just that's just salary money, right? Then they also had a twenty five hundred dollar a month budget to purchase or do whatever they wanted for themselves, right? At the end of the day, I'm investing one hundred fifty grand a year on these four guys. If you, if I guess if this was a charity, yeah, I'll just do it for free, and then we just you know give away one hundred fifty grand, and then we just have a good time. Everybody laughs, and we make two videos, stream for three hours a week, and that's it. So happy, but it's not right. There's investment money behind this, yep. and they're gonna look at that and say, "Hey, why are we paying these guys this much money?" Yeah, and not only that, it's not it's not just one hundred fifty grand. It's it's your following. It's the media posts that you push them on. It's the content you're driving their way. It's the the film again. All the other additionals that you're trying to you know bake them into the brand to to build them up and platform them up. So, you know, you're, you're not only paying them, but you're paying them to grow too, like for them to make their own individual um, yeah. income in return. Yeah. And you I know. think w w the other thing that we're, we're, we're saying, but I want to put like a specific word to it because I think it's very important for people who are trying to make it in any kind of business to understand is the relationships they had access to just by being a part of that, right? Like, just by being where they were, the other orgs, people, talent, the like what you have to do to make it in this world is you have to take the opportunity to, you have to take the opportunity to make the most out of all those relationships, all the opportunities, all the people um, that, that you can meet and know and turn into further deals. Like an example, I talk about this all the time. I'm not like, I'm not like deriding monsters. Just my story is like, I've casted events that, there is no way John Rush casts those events unless like Javier puts on for him, right? And just that re the re relationship is everything. And I just really feel like that is one of the most sad things that also is blown in this is like, bro, even though you don't work with him, maintaining good ties, da da da, like it's just so sad. But I think that's a key of business is relationships. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I can attest to that. A lot of folks that I've met along this journey, um, you know, I made sure that I always looked out for and I had respectful, even dude, I've been in some conversations and I've done some deals with some people that they were just gross, bro. They were, they were, they were sticky. They were snaky. And you know, it didn't, you, you catch on some little things and you just know, you know what? Hey, okay. got to keep a, you know, you stay away from this guy right here, but you don't, you don't air that out on Twitter. I don't, I don't go, you know what I mean? Creating a whole riff about it because it's, it's not worth it. You leave that where that is. You kind of move on. Um, because that's how I think, yeah, as, uh, you know, men and, and business editing, that's how you should carry yourself with, uh, with that level of humility and respect. You, you got to move on from those instances. And that's just looking again, past the whole calling people out, breaking or, or burning bridges, like just, just who you are. Like this doesn't look good for the personal brand. Like it yeah. just doesn't, you're, 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 you're playing the sympathy card. It really feels like a virtual signaling to me. A lot of people do that. They just do it for attention. It just sounds like the right thing to say. Yeah, dude, I couldn't eat. I had to ask my mom for money. Like, it's just virtual yeah. signaling everywhere. Yeah, like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna offer up. I'm, we'll return to some practical, helpful stuff. I do wanna, I wanna, I wanna move into the, a little bit of interesting conspiracy. Just you know, we're on Team Nate Shot. I think it's clear. Like, we're 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 with him. But one thing that I thought was interesting that came up for this, and just for entertainment's sake, and like almost like I feel like it's like gaming folklore. This I was going to say it. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I think we're thinking the same thing. To me, something that is very akin to what happened with Twitch and Doc, like, is Nick Merckx and Hundred Thieves, and based yes. into all these Twitter threads was one lone tweet by another person that I I look up to a lot too, and I think very highly of. And it brought me back to a few years ago when out of nowhere, some very unhappy situations happened between Nick Merckx, who from all appearances also seems to be a stand-up, hardworking, like professional, really does not like it. And, and, and his tweet, I'll pull it up as you're talking, Monster, but it was to the effect of like, wow, this sounds familiar, dot, dot, dot. And I watched that, I watched that all unfold. And, and this is why... I almost said it before, but I was so deep in the conversation. I wanted to preface this, and I said it a few times, Nayshot's not perfect. And we know he, he's, he's got some dirty laundry, too, 100%. And Nick Merckx, that, that little controversy that you're talking about, in particular, it's pretty clear he did Nick Merckx dirty at some point. Uh, whether that was false promises, whether that was you know uh, uh, not 
fulfilling his end of an agreement because, you know, a contract goes two ways. You could sign, but if you don't get that counter signature, is it really real? You know, like it, something funny happened there where Nick Merckx was surely promised something for building up the 100 Thieves team. And he was a ride or die 100 Thieves person. That was how I found out about 100 Thieves. Call of Duty, uh, I believe, two was just dropping at some point or another. Zombies was going crazy. Nick Merckx is one of the bigger channels on there. He was riding with 100 Thieves. And I was like, oh, crap. Okay, this this is a dope team. Maybe they they must be real. They got this guy on it. And that's really how I found out about them. So. That is crazy. And I wanted to say that because I love Nick Merckx. Nick Merckx is my boy. He's one of the few people that will literally DM me at random about some random something and just, you know, shoot, shoot the crap with me. You know, we'll just we'll just talk like boys and we'll have a fun little catch up. So I did want to say that because I don't want him to listen to this and think back like, damn, bro, you just going to ride with Nate shot like that. Yeah. Um, again, speaking unbiasedly about the, pers- uh, the, the perspective of how their dynamic played out. But again, we know for a fact yeah, Nay shot is not perfect. Uh, John, do you have the tweet up there? You wanted to read that one out? Yeah, so it, it's, it's pretty much that. Um, uh, in the midst of uh, Frosty um, talking about this, um, uh, Nick goes, this sounds familiar, exclamation mark, keep your head up, G. And then um, to a, uh, a quote retweet saying, if y'all didn't believe Nick Merckx then, which gosh, was how three, four? Got four years. It's got a while ago. Four years ago, right? It's been yeah. A couple years ago. Crazy to think that the scene has been like that active for this long. It's nuts. That's cool. Uh, he he's someone said if y'all didn't believe Nick Merckx, then how about now? And he posted like a a, a gif of Michael Scott with a, a, a glass of scotch, just going. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I I I think it's great, and I think like the honest thing in these situations, which is I feel like what we're doing on on this podcast right now, is like. There's, there are always two sides of the story, but even more than that, there's like always five sides of the story and no, even our heroes are imperfect and that's just fact. Yeah. And I'm going to agree with monster there, right? It's more like, do we think nature shot's perfect? Do I think nature shot's perfect? No, no chance. Right. I just think this specific scenario is completely different than, you know, whatever happened with him and Nick Merckx. I mean, obviously I think he probably didn't make Nick Merckx dirty, but we don't know anything about that, right? We have no clue what happened between closed doors, and that's notice how that stayed behind closed doors, right? It was like obviously he was promised something. Somebody other side just kind of shut up and just let it die. Right? Yeah, and, business, and you know, right? but, but that also just shows you how Nick Merckx that's again true. he he took that high road, right? Like we just talked about, he didn't he didn't go out, he didn't really blast, he didn't have to go take screenshots, and he didn't have to do all that. All no. he has to do. You know, again, as someone, as a man of respect, was speak up, say his part, let that be known loud and clear. Like, I don't mess with you, bro. You know why? That's crazy. I'm out of here. Peace. Phase is going to take care of me. And he's, he's phased all the way now. And they're taking care of him. And I, I love that the way he handled that because that's how I handle situations. That's how, you know what I mean? A people that I respect more, more often than not, that's how you handle that. Uh, yeah, you say your piece and you move on. And you move on. You, yeah. can't, you can't do these other routes because right now that's the norm like this is this is the norm um we're kind of uh we're normalizing this this version of you know trying to cancel people or, or saying stuff for no reason like what do you yeah. gain from that you know people don't realize that all you're gaining is a, a couple of yeah a couple of likes and then that's it dude you're burning bridges and you're creating drama well that's exactly that's exactly it like you just you i didn't even think about that tie into it it's like would phase have taken nick so quickly had he gone out that way i i, I doubt it even fa- yeah i just doubt it you know like had he been that way acting that way i i doubt it we can't say no for sure but you you see nick go from from 100 thieves to then for a little bit there it wasn't even a full year he really kind of just cemented back into m fam built his brand kept grinding kept his head up did his thing and then legend yeah, leveraged himself into a a huge partnership where I, he's unique in that he's one of the only people that is like phase but still very much so like his own brand He's a legend, and I think it's in large part because of what you just said, how he comported himself. Yeah, he, he knows he knows how to handle himself. Go ahead, uh, Joe. No, I said the M fam, man. It's massive, man. I'm a big fan of Nick Merckx, and I mean, whatever happened in the past between him and Nate Sean, obviously that's between them two, right? But what a, I don't know. I feel like if 100 Thieves had Nick Merckx right now, wow. Where were they being? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Nayshaw probably had a cold sweat when that one hit. He's like, mm-hmm. heart oh, dropped. Like, uh oh, do I got to deal with this? 
Um, and, yeah. and he did, like I said, in his video, when he went live on Twitch, there was a couple moments where he stopped and he was like, Ugh. you know, he did. Let me let me go back a couple seconds. I sh- probably should have recorded this, but you know I'm live, so it's live, right? It's live, yeah. live. And um, he he did address the Nick Merckx thing. He just said he he said it very elegantly, but it was it was it was definitely him cowering from the topic in the sense that, hey yeah. man, I, I don't want to talk about it and I don't have to talk about it. So I'm gonna yeah. leave that there. Yeah, man. but yeah, definitely definitely is a good, good point. I did. think I think that I think it does run in parallel. It, it's good to bring up those those sides just so our listeners have that full perspective. But yeah. To summarize again for those of you guys listening, um, Nayshot, the CEO of Hundred Thieves, signs these young up and coming potential uh, talent called the Mob. The Mob gets this opportunity to get paid a respectable salary, relocate, and of, again have what could be uh, a budget to go ahead and expand their brands. And it just seems like they fumbled the bag. But more importantly, they didn't they didn't step up to a lot of the other additional responsibilities that almost could have costed even more ramifications and they just that all came out on twitter and it, it it was a it was a pretty interesting like we said 24 hours of back and forth i don't, I don't see nayshot uh responding back after this one i think he might just leave it by the wayside he said what he has to say before we move from the topic and we are we're coming to the close of th- this episode y'all when we're doing our a little bit of pre-show prep you both from your experience like in the past and what we do with practice server i thought pointed out just a great Again, another angle, not trying to be critical of 100 Thieves or Nate Shop, but just a great take on the need to coach young people on how the responsibility goes both ways. And I would love, I would love for y'all to just talk about that because I agree. I think it's a both end. I think that as a young grinder, as a creator, you got to know your stuff. No one's going to care about you more than you. And all that is true. But I also think that organizations can be better at coaching young guns. And it's true. One thing that I think organizations grossly underestimate and for whatever reason don't quite weigh into their cost analysis is the fact that you need to protect your investment and what do i mean by that get them the professionals that know how to do the seo on youtube you know that search engine optimization get them the resources the web developers to build up their own little personal landing spot or build your own and and make sure they have a, a a bio within that realm and all these little things that really platform up your your players, your influencers, the content creators that you're bringing in, to me, that's as valuable as the life lessons, as the coaching, as the hey, you moved to to te- <laughs> you moved to California. Here's the new tax laws. Here's a you know what I mean. There's so many little things like that that um, I feel like we're probably possibly left by the wayside here and aren't quite taken into consideration. And to me, that's just protecting your investment. Um, I mean, Jal, you you have more experience than any of us. I'm sure you've learned a lot. You've made your own fair amount of mistakes. I'm sure you learn as you go, but you know you've picked up a lot too. No, I definitely think I made mistakes in that aspect, right? Learning and starting an esports organization from scratch, man, without any experience in that world is difficult. Did I make a ton of mistakes? Yeah, I definitely made a ton of mistakes. But now, if I were to go back, I would change them. But you know, past in the past. Um, I think one of the things, like you mentioned, is I would have invested more money and time and resources in gathering professionals around these guys to help them, you know, with all those little things. Um, but I think also think at the same time is a lot of the people, again, become complacent where they are. You know, I try to help them like, hey, man, let's get you going. You got to turn the stream on. You got to do this. Um upload to youtube tiktok instagram whatever it is right stuff that's free it costs you no money it takes 15 minutes to get you a clip from your stream and put it on tiktok instagram facebook whatever you want twitter takes 10 minutes most of them don't want to do that right so then it comes down to like i said before earlier you can lead a horse to water but you can't force it to drink it yeah one of the things too that i think i haven't seen as much in content creation space but that we've seen um in the esports space, especially like League of Legends and Counter Strike, is really valuing like mental health. And like I loved seeing like the early, like I think it's G two was like the first league team I saw. Like they had like a team sports psychologist that would teach them not only how to have the right mental into the game and in clutch moments, but 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 just like being successful in life. And I I think that that is um, when you think of content creators that um, have spiraled out or just got burned out or tired a lot of it comes back to that. So I think that that is something that I would like to see more on the content creator space. And just in the space in general, I don't think we can have enough of it is like teaching them how to value 
it doesn't always have to be like this intense like psychoanalysis just like very simple things about sleep and all that stuff yeah i mean fortnite has not made it easy for players to get those mental breaks you know competitors young players they want to be a part of everything every activation every opportunity um they're they're hungry to play and you know not not to dig into to epic and fortnite here but they have one of the most i don't want to say the word vicious but i'll say demanding very demanding competitive schedules there's no downtime there's no breaks in between there's no you know differentiating factor between cash cups and fncs like you are banging out if you're not banging out a solo cash cup you're playing in the fncs qualifier or the the new costume that's dropping in dragon ball z skin cup because you need that too like you don't get a day off um and, and talking about mental health one of the one of the organizations that i really respect and look up to in the space is becoming legends reno he calls them out all the time because he is someone who is big on breaks you know taking that mental relaxation he'll take his team out to the cabin where his homeland is and you know show them the wilderness and just a little bit of decompression he does those things he he understands that importance of that space and does a good job at it but he speaks up all the time like Hey, dog, you can't have my players playing three heats in one day because they want to make sure they compete. And this is how you're making them do it. That's 12 or 16 hours worth of Fortnite. It's unhealthy. And um, I think Epic sometimes needs to understand that, yeah, your Epic calendar is cool and all, but we can't do that at the expense of our players, right? We really do have to find a, a good balance. Um, of course, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to participate in everything, but... Org owners want to see their teams play in everything, and players want to play in everything too, though. That's just the reality of it. So they'll put themselves through those stressful situations. So I'm totally with you on that. I think mental health is absolutely important, and you got to know how to do your, your work-life balance um, and take care of yourself at the same time. But just in Fortnite in particular, sometimes it's not even possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think Fortnite is definitely one of the most grueling schedules out of any, you know, every major esport out there has breaks, right? There's a month break or whatever. We're kind of just relax. Like, like Call of Duty right now has like a two month break, right? League of Legends after Worlds is like a break, right? There's seasons to it. I think Fortnite just kind of FNCS is over, cash, daily cash cups. And it's just every day, every day. It's just a grind. And like, but you see it a lot in players, right? A lot of burnout. Um, a lot of the top players that were back then are no longer around because you just burn out. They move on to other games. You know, a lot of them are moving to Valorant. They're like, it's just... I wonder, I wonder if, if we took a, a stat, right? Because Fortnite competitive has been around for about four years or so. And we're about three years into like the competitive, the real competitive cycle. And we're seeing some of the OGs over the last year start to leave. I, I really wonder if there's some kind of correlation. If we could look at how long did the average Counter-Strike player last? or Dang. League of Legends player last. Because to me, to, I mean, we talk about the big names. Uh, we did this last time, John. You could speak much more better uh, and closely to the League of Legends history and some of those big players like uh, Bjorkson, I believe it was, mm -hmm. and a couple others. But they did what feels like a decade in the game versus what we see, you know, Benji play for three years, right? And, and players are now on the brink only three years. And it maybe it could be that demanding cycle versus you know, the cadence that some of these other titles do. And I'd love to know that. Also, talk about a younger demo that we opened up the competitive gates to, not the way a lot of other esports titles have a little bit more of an older audience. So maybe that, you know, uh, uh, the lifespan's a little differently because they came in at a different age. But we are talking about something interesting. And I'm sure there's some level of uh, science there, or some data to point some dots that show that, Again, and this is just, we're just speculating here, right? We don't have that data, but the speculation, in my opinion, points to this demanding cycle leads to burnout. And we didn't even add in that players have to scrim. Like, it's, it's not just, it's not just you show up and play tournaments. You got to practice even to get to those, you know, those moments and opportunities. And, so, and I think for, Fortnite players, uh, just what I've observed, stream a lot more. I, like I and I don't know why that maybe they feel like they have to or they want to. It could be an age thing. Like you see with some of these older, you know, older esports titles, like especially when it's season, like they don't stream, like they don't have time, like they don't have time from the standpoint of like what it does to them. It's a different game, though. Yeah, the you, like yeah. those games require almost pinpoint strategy, rinse and repeat. They're they're executing plays. 
Fortnite is much more by the cuff, so it's not quite the same. But some of our greats, like Zay and Sap, before they left, were refused to stream because yeah. they wouldn't play their drop spot and stuff. So not quite the best example or defense in this case, but I guess I'll, I'll say that. Right? The dynamic is a lot more competitive in those other titles. Streaming will uh, work against you, I think, way more often than not. Yeah, I think Fortnite, possibly why the, you know, I don't know, I've been watching esports for a long time is cycles of games, right? For example, Call of Duty lasts, you have a whole year of the same season, right? League of Legends, it's the same season. They might add a different champion or both the champions, right? But the, the game stays the same. Or Counter Strike, the game's been the same for years, right? Decades. So True. the top players can stay around for a long time. Where in Fortnite is, often is every new season, every three, four months. The game changes every three, four months completely. Yeah, that's right. Right. So not only are you getting burnout from you having to play the game every day, but then as soon as a new season comes out, it's relearning the entire game over. Right. So it's you really have an option to take time off. Like Call of Duty players can take time off because, again, in two months they'll be the same Call of Duty. Right. It's still Call of Duty. Counter Strike just... the same thing. Leaks the same thing. Just Fortnite is completely different than every other game. I was going to say for the first time, you know, in, in my casting career, right, I've been doing this for, again, almost four years, as long as competitive has been around, you know, just, just not long ago, I had to just, I had to turn down an event. I had to turn down Gamers 8, $2 million, Saudi Arabia, the, one of the first big return lands, because I'm like, dude, I've been doing this, this globe trot to cast the game all over the world, literally, um, and my wife just needs, we need a week together. Like, yeah. the fact, yeah. like, I just, like, you can't take everything. Uh, I'm yeah. like, I have to turn down this gig. And we're talking, we're talking big money, right? Especially for what that event was. That was like a political campaign. We didn't, we're not even going to get into, we're not even going to get into that. But, you know, they were paying crazy money. We're talking premium dollar. And I'm like, dude. I don't care. Like, I got to turn that out. But that's because mental health, work-life balance, you have to bake those things in. But that's the first time I, I just got to that point where I'm like, not that it's a breaking point for me, but, you know, I got my family to have to balance too. So that that's crazy how, again, that just continues to talk to the fact of how demanding Fortnite's competitive schedule is. And someone like myself, who's one of the premier talent, I'm almost expected to show up to all of the yeah. major events. It's like a great problem to have. I love it. But holy crap, it is crazy. There's no downtime. So imagine you, you're casting it, right? So you have to show up to the major events and it's like draining for you. They now, have to show up to all those small events. Every <laughs> cash up every day, Monday to Thursday, you got to scrim in between. You got to try oh, to man. upload content. And then some of the top players, you know, you're signed to org. So now there's even more responsibility on top of that, right? You got to produce. There's certain deliverables that got to happen for your org. And it's just like, bro, enough is enough. You know, especially at such a young age, I think that's what it is. Fortnite is such a young demographic, right? Like you can start competing at 13 years old. When I was 13, man, 14, 15, not only is a pre, I never competed for any kind of money, right? Now these kids are out for millions of dollars. The amount of pressure and stress that puts on such a young person, where it's like, oh my gosh, I can make life changing money at 15 years old. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. So, yeah. hey, well, this has been great. We wanted to cap uh, this podcast off with one final question. Uh, all three of us would have a different perspective based off our experience, but this is also close. Uh, home for us here at practice server because it's what we do um in a very real literal sense it's our business um but i thought it'd be great uh monster i'd love to start with you uh just getting your thoughts on what makes a good esports production like we're talking about Fortnite, um all, all these events i feel like that's just happening with so many titles there's another stream another 5k this for apex and this there's so many esports productions now um, a lot more people are doing it. What makes it a good experience? Let's talk specifically for the viewers, because that's why we're producing it, right? Like, it's not just for the players, it's for the people at home watching. What do you think goes into that? Uh, well, first of all, I know exactly what goes into these things. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of manpower, um, coordination, and, and syncing to deliver one beautifully choreographed show. Uh, I think... What makes a good event, like what is what makes a great event is the observers. You, you have like having a great observation team 
a team that is dialed into the game, knows what's going on, knows who to watch, knows how to pinpoint um, the, those key moments before they happen. Uh, it's it's like us from from a fan perspective. You know, you you want to of course follow those big names, but there's something special about. When that moment gets captured on stream and you're sitting there like, holy crap, you got that clutch. But that's the observers. So yeah. the, our unspoken heroes, I'm going to give the hats off to the observers uh, today. And, and that shout out, absolutely. I think that the biggest, biggest piece, uh, obviously you need your great talent. You need your people to know what they're talking about. You got to make sure, you know, all the graphics are looking clean and stuff like that. But I think the, the unsung heroes usually are the observers. They're the guys that have one chance to capture that action so that the casters can talk about it, so that the viewers can watch it unfold. And if you don't have that in place, it's going downhill. And I will tell you, I've cast a lot of events, some as recent as soon too recent, and there <laughs> has bad observers, bro. And it's not fun. It's boring. It could put me to sleep. And I'm the guy that has to make it sound good. So. Yeah, esports production, man. The, the number one thing, in my opinion, get those observers, man. Get some good observers. Yeah, Joe. Before you answer, I think that highlights like what maybe some people might not know. And even if you're a gamer and you watch all these things, this is a very difficult thing to do. The amount of people, the teams that have to be like communicated to, and like the very real people that are behind it, like even some of the software that's been developed over the last two years to make this more possible. You. You have to take into account that the the way the game is. I remember like early uh early uh Warzone tournaments, like there was no there's there was no support. And in many ways there there really is no support. And you're putting these things together, you're at the risk, you're at the mercy. And so like we're talking about this topic because this is a this is a much harder thing to do than I think most people realize. Yeah. And I think for me is knowledgeable casters. Okay, that's your number one thing. That, that's like because that's what I see, right? If I, I'm just a pure viewer, from my from a pure viewer perspective, is um, one of my favorite things to watch is the LCS, right? But the amount of knowledge that these guys have that I don't even have to watch the screen and I can tell you what's happening just from listening, right? Some of the times I would be driving long road trips and I just put an LCS on and I don't even have to watch it. But me listening to them and how they break down plays and how they go about transitioning from top lane to bottom lane, whatever it is, it's unreal. And I think that's super important, just from a viewer perspective. Yeah, and like casters play a massive role in the experience. But again, no cast, no, no observers. Casting's terrible anyway. So well, and like another layer to the casters, and I think League does this very well. I saw this with uh, a lot of the Halo guys, including like Chris Puckett when halo infinite came out part of where that knowledge comes from is is they are actually ranking at a high level in this game still like it's crazy to me how many of the lcs casters are still very high ranked like globally in the game and they put in their own grind behind the scenes and like just just the work even like not just the traveling that you have to do like like monster but like tell us more about what it takes like quickly like to be a great caster like because this is what you do oh man uh thank you Again, appreciate that. That's a great compliment <laughs> there. Uh, no, seriously, I mean, there's there's tons of work, right? For for me, I'm at my sharpest when when first of all, the mode is is my favorite mode, solo or duos. I'm at my sharpest. Mm. Uh, trios, I wasn't as dialed in. I'm not gonna lie. I kind of took the casting season off. I'm not watching as many vods. I'm not really dialed into as many screens because I, I like certain types of game modes. That's what kind of gets my itch. So for like this whole year we've had duos i've been loving being a part of the shows and stuff like that my preparation work really does end up looking like i like to come in and be the caster that has the wild prediction who goes for the dark horses who will put a team that you haven't quite heard of or seen of on the map and give you like a weird quirky fact like yeah did you know this guy won four hundred dollars two weeks ago like in that random little tournament he's trying you know keep an eye on him he's pretty good you know like i like to pick up those guys those are the calls i like to make um, teams like Pamsu and Fatch called them out a long time ago because of the fact they were one of the longest standing duos playing with each other. I love that little fact right there. But it's knowing those bits of history. It's knowing the journey some of these guys have been in. It's knowing the hurdles and, and you know struggles they've overcome to compete or, again, contest players in their general area. Uh, I like having that little bit of extra knowledge and insight. And that's I, only possible because I'm so engraved in the scene. I communicate with these guys on Twitter. 
Uh, I mean, I just got blocked by Sensit the other day because I still also have no filter. You know, he's, he came in with a stupid name and I told him, bro, your name sucks. And then he had an excuse for me. And I said, I don't care. I didn't ask you. And he blocked me. And he, he didn't like that. But that's how dialed in I am. That's how passionate I am. I'm willing to I'm willing to take it there sometimes with the players because you have to, you know, but that that's that's me. That's who I am. So I think to make a great caster, like you said, like those other guys. If you're not playing the game, you got to be in the game. Um, and, and I'm really in the game in the sense that I'm all over social media. I'm really dialed into, you know, what's happening. Maybe not on an Aussie antics level. That man's that, that man's lost several Aussie. brain cells. I'm sure his <laughs> lifespan has shortened for how much he streams. It cannot be healthy for you. I do not recommend it. Aussie, my friend, I hope you get uh, closer and closer to your retirement. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever goal that is, I hope you're close to it because you work too hard, my friend. But um. Yeah, man, there's there's a lot of different ways to be in tune. Hey, I'll, I'll say it quick as we wrap. I think what makes a great esports production is the players being in the same room, bro. I just Ooh, think that there's okay, just something. Okay, you're, you're taking it to land. Hey, I just think, and maybe it, maybe it just comes from like, that's how I came up on the scene, going to like locals in Orlando area for Halo 3, where it would be like, it would always be like a melee and Halo combo. And melee players are crazier than anybody. So they, I, all the locals I went to, like lands I went to the Halo, they always had the Smash players go first. They were screaming, bro. You'd have you'd have Hungry Box yelling in a in a random Ramada hotel convention center, you know. And just I, I think that adds an element to it that is very interesting to me. Having fans in the room, having players in the room. So answer me this: Would you take a scuffed land tournament, like scuffed production, over? a remote event that's ran smooth and you can watch beginning to end a four hour show or would you take an eight hour land? Have would you, you take a scuffed eight man? hour land never been or, that's or a good four hour man. remote show from home? That's a good question. That's a realistic question. Give me the passion pit, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you'll take, oh. you'll take the passion pit. So Dude, I've been in, in the passion pit. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, John, bro, I, I, all I'm gonna say is like the the last we're, we're seeing a lot of returns to like lands and in persons. Last one I was at was the Raleigh Invitational for uh, Halo, and just watching the amateur teams yell at each other was more entertaining yeah, in yeah, context yeah. for me, bro, than the most produced World Cup, bro. It's just different, man. And I like, agree, I do agree. And, and like, bro, like. Some of the early moments, like I think what made me fall in love with Fortnite, I always say this is I is somewhat a tired like trope and event. But bro, the ninja myth event in Las Vegas cap like it caught it captured me, bro. And then just seeing the story of how we were able to combine these events and like very quickly Epic did such a great job taking in-game elements, turning them into decor and part of the event and everything like that. Like that just does it for me, man. And I just think there's a level of competition. When you're staring somebody in the eyes, it's just different. I, I'm totally with you on that. And I'm happy you brought up like even the, the decor of bringing the in-game elements to the stage and the set. That's one thing that the World Cup stage and the whole setup and, and even the, the remote studio did very well with. And I talked about this on a lot, last podcast that we just dropped a Dear Epic Games. And we kind of aired out a lot of different perspectives. And one of them was actually about the studio and the stage setup. I think they missed the ball the second time around. Not actually having the props, not having the IP that we love. Where, where's the, you know, the airdrop? Where's, where's the llama on set? Like, I feel like that's a, that's a given. Where's the brick walls? Where's the, you know what I mean? Like the theming. Um, so, so I totally agree with you that immersive environment. There's something about it, especially when it's woven in by the developers um, eloquently, like we have seen it in the past. Absolutely, um, absolutely there. And another thing, you talk about, yeah, that 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 interaction. The thing that we're seeing a lot of now. DreamHack Dallas, DreamHack Sweden, Gamers 8. We're seeing more of the players. We're seeing more of the players. And I want to give I want to give the flowers to Arab because he's one of the few people that have actually helped, whether he realizes it or not, whether Epic or anyone else realizes it or not, regardless of how ridiculously brand risk this man is. <laughs> um, on social media, you have to love what he does for the scene, developing the players, giving them that live IRL camera so we can get to see who they really are, see them be weird see them be socially awkward and teach them how to just be young adults. That's one thing that I don't think he realizes he's actually mentoring people on some social skills, but he really is. He's teaching people a lot and he brings a ton of value to the space, um, especially at these land environments. So I'm super looking forward to 
Raleigh's tournament that's happening November 12th, November 13th. Fortnite competitive game has pushed three tweets in 24 hours promoting sales of the tickets. Listeners, if you're tuning in, check that out at FN Competitive. There are tickets online now, not for sale, but for pre-registration to show that you are interested and in potentially going to Raleigh in November 12th. So that's not a paid advertisement. I just want to see everybody show up because I know it's going to be great. I'll be there whether I'm a fan or on the stage. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, uh, we too. are going to be there. So it's going to be dope. It's going to be a great event. Can't wait. That's great. Hey, well, it's been a great episode back. Shout out to everyone who stayed with us. Um, and we love to offer just a variety of different topics on here. So Monster holds it down with a great cast on the Fortnite podcast, talking about just very much so in the scene of that game, that title that we love that's so important to our our business, but in this podcast, we'd love to cover a wide variety of topics. So uh, make sure to tweet at us, talk to us, let us know things that are happening in the moment, questions. Like we love interacting with you guys. We want to try to uh, uh, provide not only like drama and, and analysis, but but coaching. And like our hope would be that like you leave this podcast understanding, hey, here's how I can grind. Here's how I can better myself. Whether it's building business, creating content, or just being a person. Absolutely, uh, John. Before we start to sign out, uh, let the people at home know where they can find you, man. Yeah, Twitter, John W. Key Rush. Talk to me. Holler at me. Um, you know, you can hit me up on Discord, but it's always kind of weird when people I don't know hit me up on Discord. So start on Twitter, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that. And uh, again, shout out to RBK Concealed, at RBK Concealed on Twitter, across social media. The man joined us today. Won't be the last time. We have some cool announcements with him. We'll be doing some dope stuff with Jow here. Uh, talk to us, man. Let the people know where they can find you. Uh, Twitter, RBK Concealed. Your boy, it's always around. If you guys have any questions about anything, um, if you have contracts, I'm not your guy. Get professional <laughs> help. <laughs> get professional help. I like that. He's advising you guys to go get professional help. This is not financial advice. Uh, but with that being said, as always, guys, send all your complaints to me at the Fortnite Podcast at gmail.com. It's been your boy, Monster D Face, and we're back for the new season of the Practice Makes Perfect podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. And yeah, until next time. We'll see you guys on that battle bus. Peace, y'all.